Welcome to the Noon at Northside podcast with your host, Pastor Stephanie. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm super excited that you guys can join us again this month. Um, I was really encouraged by what a lot of people said um, after last or two weeks ago's episode. Uh, so thank you so much for listening in on that. Um, I think this is one of those topics where if we're in the business of bridging gaps, like which is what this whole podcast is about, then this is one of those topics that we just have to talk about. We just have to sit down and say, here's the deal. Um, here's what it is we believe, why we believe it, and go from there. Um, so with that being said, I'm really excited that we're going to be finishing off this month with uh, some awesome guests. Um, our guests this w- week are uh, filling in, actually, for our other special guest who is unable to make it this month. Um, but that is okay because our two guests are Pastor Tim and Pastor Dallas, who are both pastors uh, alongside me here at Northside. So I'm super excited that they're going to be sharing an article that they found Um and they'll go into a little bit more detail about, you know, what this article is, who wrote it, why they found it. Um, but it's just going to be a, a nice experience for you guys to hear uh, another perspective other than my own um, and also another perspective other than somebody who works here at North State since they're going to be using an article uh that someone else wrote. So I'm really excited to uh, basically just let you guys hear what they have to say Um and I'm going to hand the mic over to them. Hello, this is Pastor Tim Sheets from Elkhart Northside Church of the Nazarene. And I'm Pastor Dallas Tharp, also from Elkhart Northside Church of the Nazarene. Greetings. We are here to continue a conversation that Pastor Stephanie started last week. And we are going to be sharing to you an article that was written by Lori Craig. Um, and it's... Uh, from the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And it's a really interesting title, and I think also has some really uh, good talking points too as well, but it's called 10 Things I Wish Every Christian Leader Knew About Gay Teens in Their Church. And uh, just to kind of uh, introduce... you know, who uh, Lori is, she she talks about uh, growing up as a gay teen and some of the struggle that she had with that. And, um, you know, as she did kind of come to terms with who she was and who she, you know, could be in Christ and the good news of the gospel, um, you know, she learned uh, one of the things I th- think is repeated in her points is that, you know, um, we are all broken, but we are also all loved. Um, And she says in here in the introduction that, you know, you are broken, you are beloved, but so is everyone. You can live in the tension with hope. And um, just to kind of set this up, she kind of looked back and uh, says that if she could go, you know, if she could maybe ask, you know, her her high school self, um, you know, to address the the church, she kind of had brought up a couple questions that she, uh, you know, kind of led to this article. But she said, you know, what do you wish your church knew about you? This is high school, Lori. And what do you wish they would do for you? And so that's kind of where these 10 things come from. Anything to add to that, Dallas, before we jump in and start sharing these? Yeah. And I think I just want to just kind of preface this because you may if you're listening to this, you may ask yourself, you know, why are two married pastors, not not married to each other, obviously, but 
why are these two married pastors, you know, having a, a voice or an authority to feel like we can speak about this? And we're not trying to approach this from a standpoint of, you know, we're the ultimate authority on this and that we know better than everybody else. We're just, we're two people who are in the midst of this with students from our our community, with people that we that we love around us, and we're trying to best represent Christ to the world around us. And so um, we're not coming at this, like I said, from a uh, we're experts standpoint. We are coming at this from we are asking a lot of these same questions of how do we best represent Christ uh, to the world around us, especially to the LGBTQ plus community. And we just want to try to bring some things to the conversation of some people who are been in that community, who actively work with that community, and as pastors in our community, trying to do better about how we interact with our community around us. And so um, we're going to share um, some of Lori's thoughts, um, what's what's in her pastoral perspectives paper, her, her thoughts here. Um, and we're going to kind of add a couple of our own thoughts in here as we have seen ourselves kind of interacting with this and what we hope for the future of the church. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Dallas. So we're, here we go. We'll start uh, again. This is written by Lori Craig. It's called 10 Things I Wish Every Christian Leader Knew About Gay Teens in Their Church. The first one is uh, the statement, I have no idea who I am. And at the core is kind of that identity, you know, that search for identity. Um, and uh in some ways, too, she points out it's a developmental issue as well because, you know, our brains are still growing and it takes, uh, it takes a while to kind of figure out, you know, who we are. Um, and, you know, she, she says she wishes she would have been taught back then how to get to know, you know, her real self. Um, felt that God was calling her, you know, forth, but just didn't know how to answer him. And so she, uh, with this point, it said, you know, she was, she would had like some, uh, would have had some tools to use to bring uh, the real me before a real God in a real world. And so, you know, a question that I thought about as I was reading this is, you know, how, how can the church help, you know, with, um, those that are searching for their identity, um, and just aren't sure, you know, uh, especially adolescents, you know, and those that are growing and their brains are developing, you know, how can we as a church help those that are, you know, on that journey? Because we all are on that journey. And so that was number one was um, the statement, I have no idea who I am. That- yeah, I think, and that's really important because that's a question I think all of us are asking, but especially those that are teenagers, um, those that are in the LGBTQ plus community, um, really trying to figure out who they are, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with all these things. And again, um, developmentally, there's so many things that are there and there's so many influences. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that really leads into her second point. Um, her second point is I need a gospel-centered identity because hmm. um, I think that that's one of the things, I mean, I think this is true for all of us, right? Like we get so lost sometimes in what, society and things are happening around us, celebrities, like all of these influences that are in our lives. And sometimes we just don't even know who we are. And mm-hmm. so coming back to who is, who truly are we um, with a gospel-centered identity, and it's not one that's, you know, based out of shame or these different things, but this the truth of our identity should be based upon God's grace. Yeah. Um, because no matter where we fall in this spectrum, if we're, if we're somebody that is struggling or asking questions or trying to figure out who we are, 
um, identity, sexuality-wise, whatever, um, you know, we truly would like to know who Jesus actually says that we are, not mm-hmm. just, oh, well, this was one pastor's interpretation or this person all my life told me that this is what the Bible said. And really, uh, I think all of us just need more of God's grace in our lives. And I think that's really where she's approaching it from. Yeah. Um, would really like to see grace as a higher emphasis that we extend. Yeah. And she did mention in that, too, about, you know, um, the spiritual disciplines come into play. Just saying that, you know, she wanted to know how to listen to God, which, you know, listening to God is definitely a spiritual discipline. Um, she wanted to know how to fast, how to celebrate, how to meditate on the word. Um, and, you know, all of those things fall under, you know, that category of spiritual disciplines, which I believe can be a means of grace, too, as well, and uh, help us draw closer to the Lord. Um, and uh, she mentioned uh, in, at the end of this point, you know, that. You know, she says, I wasn't a failure, I was loved. Um, but my achievement and works-based identity was failing me. And so that might kind of segue then into point three here is, mm-hmm. um, and that is that I am a prodigal too. And uh, just to kind of read uh, her first line here, um, just to kind of understand where she's coming from with that, it says, uh, because I was such a good kid, people assume nothing painful or messy could be hiding behind my smiling face and shiny blonde hair. And uh, I did think it was kind of interesting. She points out that, you know, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is is a story about the son that, you know, gets his inheritance early and then squanders it away. But there's also the older brother um, who, you know, is in some ways a prodigal too as well. You know, he refuses, you know, when the father accepts that that son, younger son back, you know, his older brother kind of refuses to come in and, you know, be a part of that celebration and welcoming back. He has his own issues. And uh, and her, her point was that, you know, um, for those of us that are parents that have kids that are good, you know, we still need to have those in-depth conversations with them. Um, she refers to it as these heart-to-heart talks, um, you know, with kids to kind of find out, you know, where are you? What are you thinking? Um, you know, just, you know, just just having those uh, those talks and not just saying, you know, hey, somebody's, you know, my kid does good things. I can trust them. Uh, it's kind of like a saying I heard recently that uh, I think my sister had shared this, that, you know, um, he says that you have uh, parents, you know, you have kids, some kids that, uh, or you might have one kid at home that you can trust to run the entire house while you're gone. They'll do the dishes, they'll clean up. Um, if a disaster happens, they'd know exactly what to do. But you might have another kid that you couldn't trust with an umbrella. And, uh, you know, just everybody's different. And, you know, I think uh, we need to not be afraid of those differences and still ask, you know, how are you doing with the Lord? Um, you know, what are you thinking these days? And not just assume that, you know, because a kid's doing what we say or ask them to do that, you know, they're okay. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I, working with teenagers, you know, I I see this all the time is our kids have gotten really good about putting on these false faces of allowing everybody else to think that they're okay and really hiding pain and suffering and hurt that's underneath. Hmm. Um, and again, as adults, we do the same thing, but it's just, it's crazy to see how much our teenagers have adapted this. And even even into younger kids, they're adapting this into their, their way that they interact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think, you know, she makes a great point of, you know, asking 
every kid, you know, the what we perceive as the good kids and the bad kids, you know, that how's your heart? How's how are you actually doing? What's yeah. going on? And and allowing space to be real. Yeah. Good behavior doesn't equate to a good relationship with the Lord. Yeah. So just being mindful, I think, of that. Yeah. I think there's there's a great there's a great thing that she writes in another article of hers. Um, cause it, she talks about like this relationship currency. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to earn that relationship currency and being able to spend that relational mm-hmm. currency. And again, that's developed from these relationships by us spending time with each other and asking, um, to the, asking that opportunity to, to build a relationship mm-hmm. so that we have that space to be more vulnerable with each other. Yeah. So. And, and in being vulnerable with each other, I think that also means that, we need to, as as Lori points out here in her fourth point, I need room to be messy. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, what does that mean? Like that, I mean, that doesn't just mean like you know, just come in and throw your stuff everywhere. But it does mean that we need to allow people to be able to not not have their lives together. Hmm. Like we don't need to expect any person at 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 any point when they're asking questions, when they're dealing with stuff. Like we should never, especially as the church, we should never come in and be like, okay, well, like, you know, make sure you get all this stuff cleaned up and then we can deal with these other things. Like there's, there's a lot where like people just need to be loved Mm -hmm. and we need to love people and we need people to love. Yeah. In In their their mess. mess. And we need people to love us in our mess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. We want to make sure that we're not kind of, you know, unintentionally, you know, by our behavior, I guess you know, setting up a, a standard where, you know, people just feel like they never measure up to mm-hmm. or feeling like, you know, you have to kind of clean yourself up before coming to Jesus. Jesus met people right in their mess. Um, so, And I think one of, <clears throat> one of her biggest points, especially with dealing with like teenagers in this, is allowing like how you react yeah. and interact with somebody who comes and trusts you with their... Say, say you have a kid who's coming to a point of coming out. Mm-hmm. How we react in that moment says a lot. Um, because if a kid comes to you and says, hey, I'm gay, yeah. and they're asking, they're asking like a silent question mark at the end of that. They're asking, you know, is this thing? And is this true? Is this right? Like, mm. And because they're, again, coming back to this identity question. And so how we as church leaders, how we as parents, how we as followers of Christ react to that question says a lot of how we allow these kids to live into these yeah. things that they're asking questions about. Yeah, I think it's really important. She, you know, points out that if our kids, if our child were to come to us and say, you know, um, you know, this is this is how I feel. You know, I, I, I'm I'm attracted, you know, to the same sex. Like we as parents should not, you know, tell them, you know, no, you're not attracted, you know, to the same sex because she. You know, points out that you know we're we're basically telling them that you know that's not how you feel, and you know it just never seems to work out in a relationship when somebody comes to us and expresses how they feel to us, and we tell them no, that's not how you feel. We don't really get that right to do that, yeah. you know, as as a parent. And and that's the biggest thing again, and um, you know, specifically for us as the Church of the Nazarene, you know, one of the things that we definitely affirm is that the attraction, so how somebody feels is not sinful, yeah. right? So your orientation, your your feelings are not sinful things. Like God has given us mm-hmm. feelings, and that is something to, to fully affirm in people of how they feel. It's 
no less than we would with a heterosexual child mm-hmm. or adult. Like we would affirm their feelings of how they feel about somebody all the same. However, it's what you do with those feelings then yeah. can can be causational for other things that need to be addressed. But that's the same thing with all of us. Yeah. And I, I also think too, you know, and she points this out that, you know, if we're if our kids come to us and uh, you know confess and open us open up to us about their sexuality, and we tell them no, you don't feel like that. Like that's going to push them away. And we've kind of seen you know situations where you know um, the way parents respond and you know telling in anything. I mean, if somebody's angry at somebody and they express it to them, and that person says no, you don't really feel like you're angry. Like that just to me, it kind of hinders a healthy relationship. It kind of gets in the way and blocks that. So, so uh, number five here, I thought was really, really good. I thought it was a practical, um, like these are really practical things. Number five is if I come out to you, here is how you can respond. And I thought these were just really like good resources and, um, you know, things that uh, I think in a church that, you know, need to be taught, like. I'll just kind of go through. I thought I would just read these so that we could just kind of have uh, have these tools. But uh, so again, number five, if I come out to you, here is how you can respond. And uh, she's got several bullet points under this. One is to thank the child sincerely. And then she has, you know, this is something that you could say. Thank you so much for trusting me with what you shared. That must have been really difficult to do. And I feel like that right there is something that you know, parents, grandparents that we should practice uh, that response, Um, you know, just just being really honest about myself and where I'm at. If, you know, my kid came out to me, um, it'd be really hard to respond with that. I think I would want to naturally just kind of say, you know, no, wait, wait a minute. Like, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to thank them and, you know, acknowledge that, you know, that had to be really difficult, you know, for you to share. But I, I think that opens the doors, though, for, you know, a continued healthy relationship with your child mm-hmm. if you do that. The other thing was to just she had mentioned reaffirming your care and love. Um, and she says, you know, you could say, I don't see you any differently. I love you the same as I did five minutes ago. Just thinking how important that is, especially as we get a little bit more into this, you know, some of the statistics of, you know, those that, uh, you know, are, are a part of the LGBTQ plus community, some of like the, the suicide rates among mm-hmm. those individuals. And um, just thinking how important it is to know that, you know, they're loved and loved unconditionally. Uh, another thing here was she said, don't say I thought so or even I never guessed it. Um, she says that makes the child feel like they are either walking, they are either a walking stereotype or a minority of a minority. Um, and she says, uh, by a minority of a mo- minority, I mean they may think I don't look gay, but I am gay. Um, then another bullet point was ask if it's okay for you to ask some questions. Uh, one of those questions could be, can I ask you more about your experience? And then also saying, you know, feel free to not answer anything that you don't want to. Um, I think these are good because as a parent, I think we sometimes just feel like we have a right to do and ask, at least I do sometimes, whatever we want mm-hmm. and not really respect our kids. Um, and so I thought this was really good just to set those boundaries and, you know, again, just very respectful, loving. Um, another question was, uh, I really like, I would I really would love to know what it has been like for you wrestling through all of this. Um, another question was, would you mind telling me what 
words you use to describe yourself. Where are you at in this process? How would you like to be addressed? Um, she says, uh, if you're in a panic about what to say, restate what they just said. Um, you know, and you kind of give an example. It sounds like you are saying, and then just trying to kind of, you know, say what they just told you, which, you know, some, some of us parents probably would find ourselves in shock and maybe not necessarily know how to calmly, uh, you know, be, you know, reply. And, uh, and again, so I just think these are really good tools to be able mm-hmm. to use if we find ourselves in this situation. And even as pastors, you know, especially you as a, a youth pastor talking with students, like these are just really good things that you can have in your tool belt. Um, she said, you can ask what their support system is like, with whom have you shared? What has it been like for you? Um, Asking the child how they feel about themselves. You're listening for signs of self-hatred and potential self-harm. Safety is the highest priority based on statistics of LGBTQ teen suicide and harm. Um, After all of this is a question, you know, how do you feel about yourself? And then asking the child how you can support them. You know, I'd love love to come alongside you any way I can. How can I support you in this season? And then, you know, do it. Make sure you, you do that. Um, two more things, and this one's done, but uh, she says, reaffirm your love and care. Uh, say, just to reiterate, I love you so much. I am with you. And then, uh, you know, she said, uh, hug them, but uh, ask, you know, if it'd be okay if I were to give you a hug. Yeah, and I think, again, these are great points because, one, they they affirm people's feelings, identities, questions. Uh, we're not belittling people saying that, you know, you know, you don't feel this way or you don't, Mm -hmm. or you can't feel this way. Because again, like these are real emotions. These are real feelings of real people who are created in the image of God. And Mm -hmm. I think even, even outside the LGBTQ plus community, like these are helpful things for us to be able to process of not just downplaying people's emotions or their feelings about how they just process different things. But I think giving, again, safe spaces and safe places yeah. um, for people to figure out these things, saying none, – because none of these things are saying, like, you know, let me let me teach you about, you know, what Jesus said or let me teach you about what's, what's wrong in your life. These are just things that are just affirming people as people. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the first place, again, that we have to come back to is – um, allowing people to just be in those moments, yeah. um, allowing people to just even grieve what they thought, like, again, talking about like how a parent would respond to this, being able to process through some of these things with a person who comes out to you, like allows you to be able to kind of grieve even like what maybe you had hoped for your own kids mm. um, and be able to begin to process, okay, so what does the future look like? And asking some of these questions, because again, um, I was just listening to another um, conference that was talking about LGBT stuff, and one of the things that they said is, you know, let me be 100% clear or uh, posit- or I forget how they phrased it. They said, let me be 100% uh, certain to you, you cannot preach Jesus to a dead kid, hmm. to, to a dead person. And so, again, first and foremost, like these kids, these teens, adults, whoever they are amongst um, the LGBTQ plus community, um, dealing with different emotions, dealing with different processes, feeling rejected. Yeah. Um, if they feel vulnerable, like that's where we see these rates of suicide, depression, all these things kind of 
rising. And so first and foremost, giving identity to people um, and then bringing that back again to that gospel-centered identity, yeah. um, affirming that they are <clears throat> not not wrong in terms of how they feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, their attraction, you know, if they feel like they're in the wrong gender, if they feel all these things that, you know, society is is playing back and forth on on what is right or how do we feel and what the church has responded to over the years yeah. and how people don't feel validated. Because just because we're validating them as people and their feelings doesn't mean we validate every action yeah. that yeah. they choose to participate yeah. in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with you know, asking questions, you know, especially, you know, when it's something that we are, you know, may stand in really strong disagreement with, mm-hmm. you know, which may be, we may find ourselves disagreeing strongly on something with our kids. Um, you know, I think what can help the situation is to ask questions. Yeah. And these are some great questions to ask yeah. about this. Absolutely. Because again, it comes back to that. What is that emotion? What is that relational investment that we have? Because again, if we're not willing to ask questions and truly sit and listen, Yeah, we can't have a conversation if we're just always trying to be the louder voice, mm-hmm. trying to say, well, I'm the authority or I'm, I'm the voice, you know, I'm the one in charge and your thing is not valid. Yeah. So. All right. So I'll just recap Dallas where we're about halfway through. Yep. Um, and again, uh, this article is by uh, Lori Craig and it's called 10 Things I Wish Every Christian Leader Knew About Gay Teens in Their Church. Number one was uh, I have no idea who I am. Number two was I need a gospel-centered identity. Number three was I am a prodigal too. Number four was I need room to be messy. And number five was if I come out to you, here is how you can respond. And then that leads us to number six that says, know that in places of pain, you can speak Jesus to me. Hmm. Um, Again, this is not... You know, I'm going to take my Bible and beat you over the head with the gospel. But this is how do we as the church, how do we as people truly represent Jesus? Um, And again, that's by being vulnerable. That's by being allowed to be in spaces that um, ask these questions um, and allow us to interact with our students and our kids and adults around us. Yeah. Um, Because, again, people put up these walls and... Um, our job is to be able to build a relationship in such a way that we represent Christ, that these walls can come down, that mm-hmm. that students, adults can feel like they can be more vulnerable with us. They can mm-hmm. talk about where their pain is yeah. um, instead of just trying to hide it behind these walls. Yeah. Yeah. So number seven was, I still need to hear wisdom concerning a biblical theology of sexuality. I think sometimes, uh, you know, just we can get so wrapped up in just one side of things that we forget, you know, the whole big picture Yeah. Um, that, you know, there is, you know, there's also a conversation to be had about, you know, heterosexual behavior, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And uh, many times we I feel like the church turns a blind eye to some of the things going on there, you know, whether it's a couple that lives together, um, a couple that's not married, that's having sex or has multiple partners. Um you know, those things are 
are problems too. Yeah. Um, so uh, just hearing like a biblical theology of sexuality, you know, that, hey, God made us. This is how he made us. He designed this. This was a part of his plan. Um, you know, she made an interesting kind of observation that, you know, if we're, if we're not willing to kind of challenge people and try to speak truth and theology to them, that she kind of mentioned that, you know, it's um, – she was going to pick the easy theology um, or the easiest theology that she could find and go with it, which, you know, to me might be that idea of, you know, I'm I'm looking for a theology that agrees with what I believe, you know, or where I stand mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of going with that. And um, I think that's where we get a chance as a church to kind of challenge people and try to try to move them forward in a healthy direction and get them to really think about, you know, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus actually teach? Um yeah, and that's and that's one of the things like as I've worked with students, as I've talked with parents and other people, like you know, we talk about this spectrum of like where where churches fall, right? Like you have fully affirming churches who are just like, you know, people can be whoever they are, do whatever they want and yeah. God loves them. And then you've got the other extreme of like, oh, like God just hates everything that is opposition. And it's really easy to find yourself on one of those two yeah. sides yeah. of it's really just easy to just love everybody and just, you know, let God sort them out in the end. And it's really easy to just hate everybody and let God sort them out in the end. Yeah. It's really messy to be right there in the middle of like, what actually is Jesus saying? Mm-hmm. How do we actually interact with people who are, again, made in the image of God? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she she mentions in here that, you know, um, we don't are well, we don't slide into holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, we slide into sinfulness and kind of that idea that, you know, if you, you know, uh, holiness, you know, living a Christ-like life, living like Jesus did. Um, like, if you want to do that, it's just not accidentally going to happen. Yeah. Um, you're not going to just stumble into that. You have to, you know, there, there's, you know, you have to have the vision for it, the intention, the means, um, you know, all of that, if you want to live a Christ-like life. And she's saying, you know, we need to be taught that by our pastors, uh, not just youth pastors, but, you know, our senior pastors, our lead pastors, our worship pastors, our children's pastors, you know, the, the whole church. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, she's, she says at the end of that point, love me and people like me enough to preach with empathy and compassion, because again, not mm-hmm. Bible beating over the head, yeah. the truth about sexuality. And that, yeah. again, that's the whole spectrum of sexuality. Yeah. Um, you know, what does God actually want from us? How do we actually honor God with our sexuality, with our bodies, with the choices that we make? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, point number eight, uh, she says, I need protection. Hmm. Um, and this is just getting to the nitty gritty of this is that. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Stats here. Yeah. I mean, heartbreaking stats here. Yeah. LGBTQ uh, teens are two to four times more likely to attempt suicide than non-sexual minority teens and are four to eight times more likely to attempt suicide in highly rejecting families. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that is just, I mean, to me. Um, I'm sure to Tim as well. These are just heartbreaking statistics yeah. that we have these kids who think it's better for them to just end their lives hmm. than to be able to process what's going on around them. And that's because families that have rejected them or bullying that they're facing or just, just not feeling like they're they're right. Yeah. Um, and it's just very difficult. And so um, we as the church um, need to be that forefront of how do we protect the vulnerable? I mean, that's that's exactly what we've been mandated to do, yeah. um, to, to 
to be the voice for the vulnerable. Um, and a lot of times as the church, especially to the LGBTQ plus community, we have abdicated that responsibility. And yeah. that's why we see so much of this hurt and brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked about at the beginning, you know, this podcast, you know, what kind of gives us the, you know, the right, you know, to two pastors that, you know, are heterosexual, married, you know, with kids, um, what gives us the right to talk about something that we don't really, um, you know, maybe can't empathize directly with, but, you know, we can empathize with, you know, broken sexuality, um, because, you know, sexuality is, you know, so much more than just, you know, what we're talking about here, like the LGBTQ mm-hmm. type of things. Like there's there's so much more to it. And we've all experienced the brokenness, whether it was things that we learned growing up. Like, you know, for me, um, it just seemed like, you know, the way the things I read, movies I watched, you know, there's a lot of objectification of women. Mm-hmm. Um, like women are objects to, to be used. And, you know, just didn't even realize, you know, that that, you know, was such a, that, that played such a big factor into my own thinking and growth about, you know, how I look at and, you know, how, how I looked at and, and viewed women. Um, God has worked to change there. I um, want to make, be clear about that. But, uh, you know, there, there is some brokenness. So we all can, I think, identify, you know, to that and empathize with that brokenness and sexuality. And the other side of that then is the compassion because the mm-hmm. the parts that we can't directly identify with, you know, if we've never been um, any parts of that LGBTQ plus side of it, you know, we're not going to be able to empathize as directly because that hasn't been our story. However, we can have compassion yeah. because we can understand what somebody's going through and we can say, I may never feel exactly the same way that you do, but I can understand that there is pain that you are going through, that there is suffering. It's the same way that we as pastors, when we deal with people who are facing death or cancer mm-hmm. or, you know, anything that's kind of happening, you know, we can't necessarily always empathize in the exact of like, hey, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. But we can have that compassion to say, look, I understand you're going through stuff that I've never gone through, mm-hmm. but I can I can be here for you. I can walk alongside of you. I can be a support to you through this in whatever ways that I can. Yeah. And she gave some practical tips too um, of just, you know, how to provide protection, you know, things that, you know, pastors can say and just remind their people of. Um, you know, some of these I thought were just, you know, some great, you just kind of get me thinking about, you know, how, how I address the church and things that we could say. One of the things that she had mentioned here in here was uh, leaders, you know, saying from the platform, you know, that everyone in this room is loved uniquely and individually. We want to care well for all of you. Your physical, emotional, and spiritual safety is our top priority. We do not tolerate bullying, unkindness, or rudeness towards anyone based on race, gender, religion, or sexual orientation. If we hear about it or see it happening online or in person, we will take it very seriously. Yeah. It was just kind of offered as something, you know, that, um, you know, a leader could say that, you know, could kind of uh, just say that this space is, you know, we want to protect you. Yeah. And and just trying to correct some of our bad theology of mm-hmm. our language as yeah. well. Like yeah. um, making sure that we are saying things that are accurate to those communities, making sure that we are not um, saying things that don't really represent or invalidate people as people. So yeah. like the the phrase, you've probably heard it before, love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Well, again, if you're saying being gay or identifying as anything in the LGBT community 
is a sin, well, now you're saying that you're hating that person. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just such a, you know, not a great representation of mm-hmm. of who who God has called us to be. Um, because again, God doesn't interact with us in how he sees us as our sin, because all sin is equal to God. Um, and again, you go into this uh, spectrum of people who don't even have a relationship with God, mm-hmm. like talking about sin in their lives. Like we, we have to first introduce them to Jesus yeah. and let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do the convicting of sin in their lives and not us being like, well, let me tell you about all of your sins. And because we don't we don't do that with people outside of the LGBTQ yeah. plus community. Yeah. yeah. And she mentions, you know, the example of Jesus and the woman at the well. And I think there are other examples, too, that we could probably think of of just how Jesus how Jesus interacts with people and, uh, you know, the ways that he does that. Um, and uh, she kind of closes that by saying a folk focus on instilling a gospel centered identity. Speak what is true with tenderness and let Jesus sanctify them. So, so number nine on here was I need a mentor, and then in parentheses or five. Um, and uh, this is no secret, but you know, there, there's a lot of young people that have walked away from the church. Yeah. You know, the statistics mentioned here are forty to five, forty to fifty percent of kids connected to a youth group in high school will drop out in college. Fifty nine percent of millennials have stopped attending church completely. Um, so what is the solution? Well, one of the things that she just makes mention of here that she's seen as helpful is, you know, uh, students, kids, you know, our teens having, um, you know, different relationships, having different, you know, um, connections, you know, mentoring, you know, with with adults in, in the church, um, adults that are, you know, great examples, mm-hmm. you know, that are Christ-like examples. And uh, she mentioned, you know, five significant adult relationships, you know, per, per child. Um, which, you know, may sound like a lot, but, you know, um, it, it's, you know, there there's plenty of opportunity. I see there's plenty of people that could mentor yeah. people even here at our church. Yeah. Um, and a lot do. I do want to mention that. A lot of, a lot do. But, uh, you know, there's many more that I think maybe need to, to step up, you know, and kind of be that mentor um, and step into that. And that does help, you know, with this, uh, this uh, you know, this idea of, you know, I, I need a mentor. Um, yeah. And that's and again that's the biggest thing because our kids they're looking for voices to be leaders of them mm-hmm. uh, as as much as you know you might think it's a strong-willed kid or you mm-hmm. know this independent kid they're still looking for people to influence them um, and so they're gonna find those voices and so we as the church we can't abdicate that responsibility of making sure that we're helping to be some of those voices that are again representing a Christ-like life yeah. for these kids and other people yeah. So last one, point 10. Yeah. Um, remove heteronormativity. Heteronormality. Normativity. Sorry. Normativity. <laughs> I'm having trouble speaking today. Yeah. So that's the assumption that everyone is only attracted to the opposite sex mm. and that remove that whenever possible. So, you know, we have a lot of times, especially as like church camps and things like that, you know, we've talked about, you know, oh, make sure that the, you know, the boys and the girls aren't sneaking off together. And it's like, no, like we need to just use more generic language of like, yeah. again, we want people to be honoring God with themselves and their decisions. <clears throat> so I think just these ideas of like, not trying to stereotype, you know, just thinking, oh, well, people are only attracted to this or that. Mm-hmm. And like recognizing that there is a much bigger world going on around us and we have to deal with these things. But there is a Christ-like way 
to talk about how we deal with feelings and orientations and and kids that are all over the place and even yeah. adults. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the conclusion to this, and I, I really appreciate what she says in uh, conclusion, is that, uh, you know, we may not get this right all the time. Um, I certainly haven't. Uh, and uh, we will make mistakes. But she does mention about how important, you know, humility is. Um, she says, uh, humility is the most incredible, approachable, attractive characteristic of Jesus, and it can transform our relationships with each other. And so, you know, I think there's, you know, I just feel like kind of a, you know, a call as a, as a leader, as a Christian leader to humble ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that means that, you know, um, if somebody that's a part of the LGBT community, you know, is addressing us, talking us, maybe telling us, you know, hey, you use this term and, uh, you know, that's we don't use that anymore or, you know, that's not what it means. Here's what it means. We need to be willing to listen. Yeah. Um, even I mean, and just because you listen to somebody doesn't mean you agree with where they stand. Um, but you want to make sure that you're able to at least have a conversation. And, you know, when you're using a word that you both understand what that word means. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I, th I think that's, again, getting everybody on the same page yeah. and, and being able to have a conversation. Because if we're just saying, say, if, if I said the word base, right? Yeah. We need to clarify, are we talking, talking about the first are we, base? Are we talking about a second ba base? Yeah. <laughs> are we talking about a guitar or mm. am I just really mispronouncing a fish? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so we have to make sure that we're saying the things that we know we're talking about the same things and being on the same page. Because yeah. again, we can't build these relationships. We can't be on the same page if we're not willing to have these conversations to make sure that we are using the same kind of language yeah. that we understand. Yeah. Yeah. And she says that, you know, humility is unquestionably the reason I stayed in the church. Even while I lived a secret double life, uh, the churches I attended and the people in them were imperfect, but they were humble. I just think, of, you know, again, how important, you know, humility is in this. And, you know, we're, we're all learning, um, you know, and that's kind of, again, why we're doing this is that mm -hmm. we are trying to continue to learn about this topic, um, realizing, too, that we don't know it all. And, um we're trying to learn from others. And so just staying humble, I think, makes you, you know, willing to, you know, to be teachable and, and to learn. Yeah. And I loved and I loved her um, final statement here. I am more sinful than I believe hmm. and I am oh, yeah. more loved than I can imagine. And so are you. And I think that that's just a great reminder for all of us. You know, we all have things in our lives that um, continue to allow us to be separated from God. And we have to be willing to address those things, but also recognize that even in those things that would separate us from God, like God is love. Yeah. And I think that's the the conversation at the end of the day needs to come back to an understanding of what love really looks like. And we as leaders in the church, as people mm. in the church, like we need to so embody that love that it transforms the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds like a good note to end on too. So Yeah. We'll turn it back over to Pastor Stephanie, and uh, she'll close us out. And uh, thanks uh, again. Leave questions, comments, if you think uh, you, there's something we need to converse more about. Yep. The article, again, was by Lori Craig, and it was called 10 Things I Wish Every Christian Leader Knew About Gay Teens in Their Church. Thanks for listening.
Oh, well, thank you so much, Pastor Tim, Pastor Dallas. That was incredible to listen to. Um, that was just a phenomenal article, in my opinion. And if you get the chance, maybe you can look up the same article and read it for yourself. Um, I would check out some of her own work. Some, uh, I believe she has her own podcast that you can listen to. Um, the other person who I would recommend listening to is someone who represents, you know, the Church of the Nazarene on this topic, which is Anderson McGee. Uh, he was supposed to be our special guest today. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here. Um, but I would definitely check out some more of his stuff. But you know what? I just, it's so incredible to listen to, you know, what Pastor Tim and Pastor Dallas had to say. Because at the end of the day, you know, our job as disciples, whether you're a pastor or you're not a pastor, whether you're a dedicated Christian or just a new person starting out in the church, our job as disciples is to build relationships with other people and to, from that, disciple them. You know, in any mission, in any field where you're crossing cultural divides, the first thing they tell you is that you can't reach them without building a relationship first. It just, it, if doesn't work without building that foundation of a relationship. And the same goes when it comes to dealing with the topic of the LGBTQ community. You know, our job as Christians is to love them, to build a relationship with them, and then to share with them the news of Jesus. And if they accept who Jesus is and they accept all that he represents, God will bring about sanctification in their lives. God will bring about the transformation in them. Um, that's that's on him. That's his grace to bestow upon them. And for us, it's about just loving them and showing them what grace looks like. I'm really glad you guys got to come and listen to us this week. With that, I'm going to say goodbye, and we'll catch you guys next month with a new topic um, that'll go away from this one, but it'll be a brand new topic on how we can still build bridges and cross-cultural divides. Until then, see you later.